0: Let's pray together this morning. God, we acknowledge that it truly is your breath in our lungs. Let the thoughts and meditations of our heart and the words that come forth in and through our lives as a testimony of your people and your church, let them be words and songs of praise that you would be glorified for all eternity. Lord Jesus, you the Lamb, you're the only one who's worthy. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, we're beginning a new sermon series today. Somebody asked me this morning, they said, but we only got to Matthew chapter 9. It seems like a weird place to end a sermon series at chapter 9 of Matthew and I just kind of have to go with where God's leading. So we're not done with Matthew. We're just kind of take Matthew and we're just going to put Matthew on the back burner for a little while. And I just thought that after a few weeks of preaching and Matthew on the idea, not that it was topical sermons, but where God was revealing and showing to us in and through Scripture about humility... And this past Wednesday night, I was supposed to talk about evangelism and our Fundamentals of the Faith class, and God said, you're not going to talk about evangelism, you're going to talk about something else. And so God laid it upon my heart um, that this is the direction that we were going to go. So I went back to the 1980s, went back to Michael J. Fox and back to the future movie, because we're going to get back to the basics And I just think that many of our churches, not just in the United States, but across the globe, that we just have it all messed up. We just have it all messed up. And we take the stuff that's important to us and the things that we think are important in the day, and we make those the chief important thing. And then when we make things that aren't the most important thing to God, we make them the most important thing in our denominations, and in our doctrine, and in our practice, and then when we get it off by just a smidge, just the tiniest little bit, and you extrapolate that out to eternity, that we're horribly off course. We're getting back to the basics. Glorifying God in all things. As I said last week in Matthew, Matthew, The sermon was called Off Target. John's disciples had come to Jesus and posed a question, why? Why are we and the Pharisees constantly, continually, frequently, day in and day out fasting, and yet we're sitting over here and we're watching you and your disciples, and you're not? And quite frankly, Jesus, this is Pastor Kevin's paraphrase, It's not actually in the text. So take it for what it's worth. But quite frankly, we're a little upset. Quite frankly, we're a little bit bitter because we're making a sacrifice. And we want to know, why are we doing what we're doing, Jesus? Jesus had some strong words, and if you want to know what they are, then you can go back and you can listen to that. And then we can go back the week before. As I just shared with those children during our children's sermon in Poetry Pals, going back another week was that it was the Pharisees who questioned Jesus. Actually, they questioned his disciples because they didn't have the guts to Jesus. And so they went to Jesus' disciples and they said, why is it that your teacher, not Messiah, not the eternal Shiloh, the Genesis 49:10 Messiah, to whom all tribute and authority belongs, not that guy, but this lowly, lame fellow, that he didn't go to the same seminary that I went to. He doesn't have the same credentials but he's walking around kind of presenting himself as if he's something really a big deal. He's actually saying that he has the power and authority to forgive sin. Blasphemer. And so why is it that your teacher sits with sinners and tax collectors? It's a disgrace, quite honestly. Why? Why? Why isn't it inherently a bad question? There are lots of things that we need to know why about. It's good to ask "why questions, right? Why did God create the universe? Why did God create man? Why did we as man rebel against our Creator? Why did Jesus come? Why do we refuse to repent and submit? To his authority if everything that we say about this book that we follow is true then why is it that we don't align our lives and our hearts with it why why questions aren't bad the problem is we ask the wrong ones and we ask them from the wrong place who do you think you are Jesus those are the kinds of questions we ask we don't ever stop to ask why am I so selfish Why am I the most important person in the universe? In church cultures, we skip right over the important why questions, assuming that we've got it all figured out. We've got it right over here at Poetry, not those other people down the street. Because if if they knew that they had it wrong, those Methodists and those Presbyterians and those, dare I say it, those Church of Christ people, And let's keep going on with the denomination after denomination after denomination. Why don't they do the same things that we're doing? We've got it all figured out. See, we look up there and that's called the golden circle principle. If you start off and you don't understand the why, whether that's in religion and faith, whether it's in business... A lot of employees, they go to work on Monday and they don't really need to know why. I don't need to know why. I just need to know that my paycheck is going to be in the bank when you said it was. And if it's there, then we're good. I don't need to know why. I don't need to know why you went into business. I don't need to know why God came. I don't need to know why he created things. I just need to know what is it that you want for me to do. You want me to show up to church on Sunday? Check the box. I'm here, Jesus. Not because my heart's in the right place, not because I want to kind of get to know you, but because when I die and I go up there to the pearly gates and you ask me, why should I let you in? There's a good why question. We say, because I went to church almost every Sunday. But why'd you go? I don't know, well, hang on a second. Is that really the question you're going to ask me? I I prayed, but why did you pray? I fed people who were hungry. So so did people who never proclaimed to know me. There's lots of people out there who are feeding homeless people, right? Lots of people, water bottles and burritos under bridges. So what's the difference between why they're doing it and why we are? many of us as Christians would say, I don't know. Does it really matter? And we reconcile in our hearts that it really doesn't. As long as all the things on the surface look the same, Jesus says no. You don't need to just know the what. You don't even really need to know just the how. You need to know the why. See, what we do in our churches is we turn into imitators we turn into imitators because we say, hey, uh, Legpoint seems to be doing pretty good over there in Rockwall, right? They got a pretty big sanctuary. They got several thousand people showing up to multiple services over the weekend. So they must be nailing it. They must be. So we need to do all of the what's that they're doing. They got a kids ministry, then by golly, we better have one. They got a women's we better have one. They've got a this ministry, then we better have one. And we never stop to ask why. We never stop to ask why. We just become imitators. I know, I know what many of you are thinking. I know what many of you are probably is going through your mind saying this like, Pastor, maybe, maybe you're overstating it a little bit. Maybe you're, maybe you're overstating the question and maybe you're overstating the problem. So let me ask a different question. Why are we here? Did you maybe say, why am I going to church this morning? That's a bad question. You shouldn't be going to the church. You should be the church. Why are you here? I know we got people that are on their phones and they've already turned me off and they're disconnected and they've got other things that are more pressing. Maybe we got students who are sitting here and they're saying, you know what? I've heard this all before, this guy, blah, blah, blah. And they've turned off their hearts. And you know what that's a reflection of? Spiritual death. I don't need to hear anything. I'm here because my mom and dad told me to. And I can't live in their house unless I go to church. And so I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be physically present, but I'm gonna be far from God. Why are you here? Because you have to? Why are we here? There's a one that's a little bit harder to answer maybe. Why are you here? Not just we, not just as Poetry Baptist Church, but why are you here? And I want to offer up some possible reasons. Every time I made this slide, I'd sit there and I'd think about it a little bit more and I'd say, nope, I got to add this one in. Nope, I got to add this one in. So this is a slide that went under probably about 25 revisions. Are you here because you want reconciliation? Maybe because you want reconciliation in your marriage. You want reconciliation with one of your kids. Maybe with your parents. And you say, the only way that that's going to happen is if I show up to church on Sunday. And you're probably not going to believe this. Or maybe it's going to be a little offensive to you. But that's the wrong reason to be here. Maybe it's for Maybe it's for baptism. Maybe it's because of suffering, and you say, suffering? Who goes to church to suffer? Many of the teenagers would say, well, if you've sat through enough of this guy's sermons, I've suffered through plenty. It's okay to laugh at that. It's okay. Don't be so rigid. Relax a little bit. See, there are whole groups of people that decided over the years that they would go and live in caves. We call them monks. And they thought the whole point of all of this stuff is for me to suffer in my flesh. And just because you don't think that, you say it's ridiculous. How about if everybody in here looked at your stuff and why you're here and said, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that you would be here for reconciliation. I'm here for edification. I'm not here for edification. I'm here for worship. I'm not here for worship. I'm here to pray. I'm not here for prayer. I'm here for sound Logical doctrine. Can I tell you that we're all wrong? If your answer is up on that slide, you're wrong. You're wrong. The reason why you should be here shouldn't be because of evangelism and you want to become equipped as a saint not because you want to be unified in the church, not because of evangelism or fun or ethics or morality, of conversion experience, of excellence in worship, not even for love, none of it. I want you to think of all those words. And I want you to think about that picture, that soundboard up there with all those levers and dials, an infinite combination, infinite number of variables And I want you to think the reason why you're here is absolutely not the exact same combination of levers and dials and adjustments of anyone else in here. And you know what happens when we get to a place where we say, you know what, the reason why I'm here, you know what, poetry isn't really meeting my needs anymore. My soundboard, all of my dials and levers don't really seem to be lining up, and I would say that the problem is you. The problem is sin. And what people do, and as a matter of fact, over the last 18 to 20 months as I've pastored this church, I've had people leave for a whole variety of reasons. I don't like the music. I don't like your preaching. I don't like your leadership. I don't like the fact that you took Sunday school that was first and you made it after the worship service, even though I wasn't going to Sunday school and now you're making me show up 15 minutes earlier than I was, I'm out of here. You know what? You did away with this, ministry pastor. You told us that we couldn't do that, ministry pastor. You made this change. You said this in front of the congregation. You implied something. I'm out of here. You would go so far as to let a homeless family live in the parsonage that has been dedicated by God mighty for the pastor and his family. And when my response came back and said, but my family isn't going to live there, possibly ever, but at least for a few years, well, then it should stay vacant. And to them, that was better than to open those doors And allow a family whose house had burned down, and that was the straw that broke the camel's back. We're done. So I want you to imagine all of those dials and levers and what your reason for being here this morning is. And I want to make it real simple. Instead of thinking it like a soundboard, think of it like a switch. It's got two positions there's no dimmer on it, there's no adjustment lever. It's a switch. It's on, glorify, or it's off. It's sin. That's it. If you're not here this morning, if you're not a part of the mission of God, if you're not seeking to glorify him with every breath in your lungs, every minute of every day, then I guarantee you, whatever your thing is, doctrine, evangelism discipleship that see at some point you're going to come across another Christian you know what John I don't really like your thoughts on discipleship you know what poppy I don't really agree with you on the whole evangelism thing I kind of come from more of a Calvinist background and you might be more Arminian and so we're going to draw our theological swords And we won't even say agree to disagree. What we're going to do is we're going to create a denominational rift. And boy, you better stay on your side and I'm going to stay on mine and don't ever come over here. And you say, Pastor, that seems like it's a bit much. Have you ever looked out there at the status of Christianity in our world and you would say that I'm off a little bit? I want to give an example. I want to give an example of autonomy. And before I do that, I just want to back up for just a second. When we're talking about the infinite number of varieties and variations and variables on that soundboard, just this week, it was a couple of days ago, I think it was on Thursday or Friday, I was going through uh, our uh, Google page for our church And people can leave reviews for poetry. You can go to Google. You can Google something online. You could Google Poetry Baptist Church. And when it comes up, if you're somebody that has a Gmail address or you want one, you can leave a review for businesses and restaurants. You can even leave them for churches. And I saw this person left a one-star review for our church. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I'd, I'd love to... I didn't approach it as like, how dare that person my approach was as immediately as it like that's interesting i'd love to hear what it is that this person had to say about their experience at poetry baptist church and you can go and you can verify this you can pull it up because you can't just delete the the google comments and reviews that you don't like they, they stay there so you can go on today after service and the person's comment was for their one star i didn't stop in you can count that as four, maybe five words, the contraction, I didn't stop in. I didn't stop in. So someone drove by, walked by, rode a horse, was on an ATV, whatever, but they passed by our church, I hope they at least did that, and not just decided that since they in wisconsin that they weren't going to be able to make it and that was inconvenient for them so they were going to get a one-star review well sir to you let me let you let me tell you this if god continues to do the revival in this church that he's been doing it's not going to be too long until we've got a campus in wisconsin amen it's going to happen it's going to happen so hang in there brother See, the preacher doesn't do this or that. It all boils down to personal preference. Let me move on to autonomy, the slide that I brought up prematurely just a few minutes ago. Autonomy. It's a powerful word, right? And we as Baptists, we love it. It's in our church constitution. We say that as Baptists, we are a collection of autonomous churches. We love the fact that we're autonomous. We like to point the finger at those people who are ruled by presbyters and elders and other churches, and we like to say, you know what? Nobody tells us what to do up in here. Nobody. We're autonomous. And if you try and bring some of your stuff from out there in the world in here, then we're going to take the big fish and we're going to slap you with it. Don't tell us how to do things. Don't bring your church background up in here. I don't want to know what the Methodists do. I don't care what the Presbyterians do because we got it figured out. We're Baptists. We are the closest thing to Jesus Christ on earth. Y'all see a little bit of pride in there? Autonomy. It's written into our church constitution. I just want to point something out here with regards to autonomy and see how you feel about it now. Genesis. This is from... Chapter 3. You will not surely die, said the serpent, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Autonomy. We like to call it the fall, which I think is such a ridiculous name for what happened. See, because when Connor falls down, I say, Come on, son, just pick yourself back up and let's go. We didn't fall. We died. You died. I died in Adam. But yet we take the word and the idea of autonomy and we would be so bold as to write it into our church constitution and say we are autonomous. We're autonomous. Maybe that one doesn't do it for you. Maybe from Judges, the summary of the entire book, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. And what I think is crazy about the way that we read Scripture is that we'll look at things that Israel did, right? We'll look at things that the Pharisees did, and we'll say, how could they be so blind? How could they be so blind? If there was a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke in front of me, I'd know exactly what God wants me to do. <sighs> Rebel. Sin much? you have God's word and I would be willing to bet that there are very few people in this congregation this morning that have spent the amount of time in God's word this week that would glorify God I would bet maybe some of you say well I spend an hour every day is it just so that you can follow your Bible reading program or is it because you want to know the heart of God hmm autonomy maybe that one doesn't do it for you this one should set some people off i may start packing my stuff and get ready to go i can't believe the pastor is saying that evangelism is wrong i'm saying that evangelism is not the purpose it's not the goal of the church And yet we take the function of the church and we put it up there as the chief thing and then when we get it off by just a little bit, we say our version of what evangelism looks like, that's the thing. And you guys down the road, because you don't do it as much as we do, or you do it more than we do, you guys are fanatics. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy that when someone does something more than you do, I don't know if you ever go to the gym and work out, but for years as a personal trainer I have people that would come up to me and they'd say, Are you on steroids? No, dude, I work out every day. Sometimes two or three times a day. I was never the guy with twenty two inch arms. Ever. I was a scrawny little kid. But see when you're bigger than someone else and you're more dedicated and devoted, they assume you must be on steroids. And then if you're in the gym and the same person that accuses you of being on steroids, sees the guy over there who's maybe not quite as developed as he is. Man, you're just not working hard enough. And we do the same thing with our doctrine, with evangelism, with the functions of the church. And we're so bold to go before God and say, God, we got it all figured out right here. Right here in this place and time, we got it. We got it nailed down. And those other people, well, they're just sinners. And we'll pray for them. Evangelism. Jesus had something to say to the scribes and the Pharisees about evangelism, their version of it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You charlatans! You actors! You traverse land and sea. There's no limited amount of effort involved. He'll travel over land and sea to win a single convert. Proud money, He, that, that person that you've gone over land and sea to convert, when they become one, you make him twice the child of hell that you are. That's what Jesus had to say about taking evangelism as a function of the people of God and making it thing, the purpose. Twice the child of God. What about our doctrine, folks? What about our doctrine? There are churches all over the United States. Man, they're ready to go to blows. Academic scholars, entire state conventions that have split over doctrinal issues that are so fine, so fairly insignificant in the grand scheme of things. They'll say, you guys are too liberal. Well, you guys are way too legalistic and conservative. So what are we going to do? We're going to get out our sword and we're going to draw the line in the sand. I don't want to have anything to do with you liberals. I don't want to have anything to do with you legalistic conservatives. So we're going to start our own convention over here. And guess what? There's a lot of people that like us. Well, there's a lot of people that like us over here. And I just wonder, do you ever stop and say, God, is what we're doing, does this honor you? Does the split between... East and West between Constantinople and Rome? Thousand years ago. Did that honor you, God? Or was it about men getting their pride involved? The Protestant Reformation, God, did that did that honor you? Did that honor you that instead of us seeking to find reconciliation and being patient and waiting on you to win the battle? That we as Protestants, that we would turn our backs on our Catholic brothers and sisters and we would say, you're all going to hell. Have you ever spent any time praying for them? Or is it more about being proud because we got it right and they got it wrong? This is what Jesus had to say to the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. He said, you pour, pour over scriptures. You study it intently. You've got it memorized an entire lifetime, dedicating, knowing the smallest nuance, every jot and tittle, every tiny little dot and under and above and to the side of those Hebrew letters. You know it all. You pour over it because you presume that by them you possess eternal life. And I imagine the brokenness of Jesus' heart in having conversations with these men. These are the very words. Guys, these are the very words that testify about me. If you really love the scripture, know that I'm the one that they're talking about. I'm the one that came to make sure that the deaf would hear. I'm the one that came to make sure that the blind would see, that the humble would rejoice, that the blind would walk. I'm the one. I'm the one. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Do we look at that and say, yeah, those are the Pharisees. Yeah, that's the nation of Israel. Or maybe in this moment today, could you say, God, is that me? Blackaby wrote a book called Spiritual Leadership and there's a beautiful quote from that book and says, God doesn't want people to do what they think is best. He wants them to do what he knows is best and no amount of reasoning or intellectualizing will discover that. Yet that's what we do day in and day out is that we intellectualize and we rationalize our behaviors, our thoughts, our programs, our ministries, all because we want to hang on to our flesh and we don't truly want to glorify God. I don't know if you're familiar with this verse or not, but from Romans 14.23 Anything that does not come from faith is sin. Back in John Calvin's day, there was a man called Baptist, and they were sort of the predecessors to modern Baptists. And this man, his name was Servetus. Servetus believed a little wonky theology because like the Jews, they believed they had a hard time recognizing the fact that Jesus was God. Because in the Old Testament it says, O Israel, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Well, if God is one, then how can he be Father, Son, and Spirit? Trinitarianism is essential to Christianity. And Servetus couldn't wrap his brain around it, and so his doctrine was a little bit wonky. He believed that at times in scripture, God would manifest as a father and sometimes he'd be the son and sometimes he'd be the Holy Spirit. Kind of like just putting on a different hat or a different outfit at different times that it would suit the situation and the need of what it is that God did. And it was off. It's wrong. But he also believed that we shouldn't have infant baptisms, which is exactly right. No one can say as an infant that they're making a conscious decision to turn away from their sin and turn to worship and glorifying Jesus Christ. It can't happen. He was absolutely wrong on one point and right on another. And so, you know what John Calvin and his buddies decided that they would do? We'll burn him, we'll burn him at the stake. And I just wonder if we could go back in time and we could have a conversation with Calvin and say, you know, there are some really strong arguments for your doctrine. But at what point is it right, is it okay to take someone whose theology is off a little bit and to say the solution to that problem because you don't see things the way that I do and we're in the majority, what we're going to do is we're going to burn you. And I wonder, that man was tied to the stake and burned up and screaming and his flesh was boiling and bubbling off. I wonder who God was more okay with. The fact that his theology on Trinity was amiss. Was he more okay with this guy, Calvin, who had all of his points nailed down? and took a human being that was created in the image and likeness of God and said, the solution to this problem is is that we're just going to fry you. If you have a bulletin with you, you're wondering what the point of today's sermon is, the chief purpose of humanity is to glorify God In all things at all times forever. The chief purpose of humanity is to glorify God in all things at all times forever. Without true humility, it's impossible to glorify God. If you don't get that whole thing, don't stress about it. Just come up to me afterwards. The chief purpose of humanity, just so you know, the church, you could put that in there as well. The chief purpose of humanity or the church is to glorify God in all things at all times forever. Without true humility, it is impossible to glorify God. So I want to ask another question. How did you come this morning? And I'm not talking about your mode of transportation, horse or buggy or car or motorcycle or walk Drugged by your parents. I'm not talking about how did you come, but what was the condition of your heart this morning? What is the condition of your heart? Did you spend time in prayer, praying for those who are lost? That is a church that we could glorify God and all that we do? How did you come? And the reason why I mention that is because in Genesis 4. There was a man named Cain who got to a place of absolute, utter complacency with God Almighty. And one day, it says, in the course of time, it doesn't say the first time he made an offering to God, but it was pretty much the last time. He may have gotten it right for 20, 30, 50, 100 years. We don't know. But in the course of time, that nagging why question, just like John's disciples, why are we fasting? Why am I week in and week out, month after month, year after year, why am I slaving to bring my best stuff before this God? What's the incentive? What's the point day in the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and then it goes on to say but for Cain and his offering the Lord had no regard and I wonder how did you come this morning did you come like Cain this is just another Sunday It's not potluck. There's no ministry team meeting. I'm not in the band. I'm not getting baptized. I'm going to show up late and I'm going to leave early. I'm not going to come to really do anything other than just to glean some goodness. How'd you come? So maybe the question that you should be asking is, then how do we turn that light switch, not the soundboard, how do we turn it on? How do we turn it on from sin to glorifying God? Desperate dependency. Desperate dependency. Did you come in desperate dependency this morning or are you just on autopilot? I want to talk to you about some people who came with desperate dependency. Now Abel, Cain's brother, brought of the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions the best stuff that he had. And I imagine that he labored over it. And maybe even thinking like, really none of this is even good enough for God Almighty. But God, this is the best that I have? It's like that widow in her two tiny little copper coins. You know what, God? It's not just the best of what I have, but it's all that I have. And the Lord had regard for Abel Abel and his offering. How'd you come this morning? Maybe you want to think about a man named Job. Job cries out to God and he says, teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. When's the last time That was your prayer to God. God, teach me. Or are you more of the bent and the inclination? I've got all my doctrine figured out. It's a nice, neat little I carry around with me every day. And when somebody from that camp over there, I reach in, I pull out my weapon, my bat, to beat them over the head with it. And I say, this is why you're wrong. And if my name was then I'd burn you at the stake. But that's not okay in our culture. But that's what we do in our hearts. That's what we do in our hearts. And Job instead, being even that God was calling him a righteous man and he didn't know all of the spirit behind the scenes, he still said, God, man named Moses said the same thing. If you're pleased with me, God, teach me your ways. You ever pray that prayer? Teach me? So I may know you, the leader of the nation of Israel. Teach me, Lord. He doesn't act like he's got it all figured out so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And it's not just about me, God, but I want you to remember that these people who you told me to deliver from Israel, that's your people. So there's more at stake here than just me. It's you and your glory to the nations that you would redeem and reconcile fallen man. Is that how you came this morning? Or did you just come for you? David, lead me, lead me in your truth. That's not our truth, that's a typo. Lead me in your truth, singular. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Three men and the commonality in their prayer, teach me. You think you've got it all figured out? David, Job, and Moses, but maybe you feel like that you've already arrived. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. What's the purpose of humanity? What's the purpose of the church? It's not a function. It's simply to glorify God forever. Let's pray. God, will we? Will we seek to glorify you with every breath that you've blessed us with in our lungs? Will we seek to glorify you in our individual lives and in the life of this church? Because I know, God, that if that becomes our prayer individually and collectively as your church, your people, that you will do infinitely, abundantly greater things than anything that we could ever ask or even imagine. God, let that be our prayer today. That you would be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. During this time of invitation, all I would ask you to do is glorify God in your response.